it wasn't until I got older, probably around college, that I realized, like, just as I was acclimating to a new space, like to a new country and to new idiosyncrasies, like my parents were too. And I think that's what's made it easier for us. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guests' views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Welcome to the show. This is Chelsea and Olivia here with B today talking about um, Filipino American, Asian American interactions with mental health. And B, could you start off the show by just introducing yourself and talking a little bit about why you're here today? Yeah, sure. So my name is B Villanueva, and I was actually a student at the University of Florida. I majored in computer science at the College of Engineering, and I'm officially graduated. So today I'm based in, (laughs) yeah, yay, I'm based in Washington State, and I'm working over here, and yeah, Uh, and how I ended up getting connected to this podcast, I actually took a class with Dr. Emmy Len, I believe is how you pronounce her name. And I took her multicultural mindfulness class when I was in like my last semester at UF and it was a fantastic course. And one of like my final projects there was related to what it was like to be Asian American. And she ended up reaching out to me and wanted to see if I'd be interested in doing a podcast. And that's why I'm here. That's great. We're so happy to have you here. Yeah, excited to be here as well. I, re- I feel really <laughs> honored to like be here. It's exciting. <laughs> I was wondering if you could kind of start off talking a little bit about um, when you first kind of started identifying or becoming aware of your cultural identity. Um, so like the, maybe the first time you even thought of yourself as Filipino or Filipino American, or um, if you have any like early memories of that. Ooh, that's a really good question. I, you know, I don't, like, I think I was aware of it always from the beginning. Like, I knew that my identity was Filipino, but I don't think, like, the American part really came into it until I immigrated. So, uh, kind of a little context and background. I was born in the Philippines, and then I immigrated with my parents when I was like three years old. So I was very, very young. We moved to Florida. And even then, as like my upbringing started integrating like American cultures and stuff, like it wasn't until later down the road that I really became aware of what that meant. And it probably wasn't until middle school when it started but it didn't really get solidified until I got to college if I'm being honest like college is where I really became aware of it and what it meant for me and what I could do about it like I don't know if that makes sense like college is really where I felt like I I 
had a choice to make about what I what my identity was going to be based off of like the experiences I came from. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. And I think a lot of college students can relate that this is the first time that they're able to form their own identity, you know, away from hometown, away from their parents, family, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Like, I think something we had talked about, and like our prior meetings was this idea of like a culture rate of stress, and how like when you're between these two cultures, it's like difficult to figure out where you fit in. Because like, for me, I knew like my core was Filipino. And then as I grew up, it was like, oh, wait, but I'm also American. And you weren't really 100%. Like, it, it felt like I didn't really belong 100% into like the Filipino box. And I didn't really 100% fit into the American box either. So mm-hmm. it was this weird, like, hyphenation of like I'm Filipino I'm American I'm not one or the other I'm kind of both and so figuring out what that meant to me was definitely definitely a process and I couldn't I didn't really get a chance to find my voice until college so for anyone feeling that out there in the world I I definitely relate. So what does it mean to you? Ooh to be Filipino American? Mm Mm-hmm. It means that it is a constant balance for sure. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, like even as I, like I'm considered like quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now, like (laughs) an adult now, I feel like there's still new things that I'm learning every single day. And as I learn new things, like I have to kind of decide what that means to me. I'm curious if you could talk more about like what kinds of things in college what about college helped you to find your voice more or feel more confident in your how you identify yeah that's a good question I think first and foremost like there was a student club for Filipino Americans I think it was like Filipino Student Association and so it was the first time where I had experienced like a whole club dedicated to one of my cultures that I identified with. So it was crazy. And it it was really nice because that's when all of a sudden I didn't feel like a minority, like that part of myself was front and center and it was celebrated by other people that identified that same way. So I think that's when it became more prevalent to me that it was something I could make a bigger part of who I was like I I I think I function a lot on the idea that we're not just one identity we're multiple as you've seen so far in this conversation Mm -hmm. and you can kind of decide which which parts or which identities are front and center and so I think that was a pivotal moment for me because I was like oh like I really want to invest more in what it means to be a Filipino Um, and then I think also in college, you, like for me, it was like, you like fly the bird, the bird nest analogy, (laughs) like you flew from the nest. Like that was like, (laughs) that was like the first part of my life where I I really felt like I had more of an independence. And yeah, like I got, like, I was just given a space to figure out what that voice was. Whereas in the past, I think 
growing up so close to my family. Like that's a really big part of Filipino and Filipino American culture is like your best friend is like your sibling or like your cousin or your parents. <laughs> like I, I was very close with my family. So I didn't have that space to really figure out who I was separate from them. And so once I got to college, that's when things kind of started to shift. And I was like, oh, wait, like who, who am I actually? So yeah. And is your family still in Florida? Yes, they are. I miss them a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, how is it? And it's, it almost seems like now there's like a new shift, like you're really learning in this stage of your life too, of who you are outside of your family with your family being so far away now. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. I, I, I'm so close with my parents, especially it's, it's weird. Cause like, especially after I graduated high school and I went into college, once you like created that space from your family, I think that's when I also kind of chose like, Oh, now I can kind of choose whether I want to be close to my family in a sense. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, that is the choice I want to make for myself. And so it, it is difficult. Cause I, I miss my parents every single day. I miss my brother. I have a dog. His name is Adonis. I miss him every single day. Uh, So he's also back in Florida. Uh, So it it is tough. Um, I think, uh, yeah, like it, that's just like one of the balances that you kind of have to find for yourself as you grow up. Like I think with every decision you make, there's always going to be a trade-off. And for me, flying out here to Washington, it was difficult, but I I still think it was the right decision for me to make. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I FaceTime my parents every day still though, every day, if not like every other day or once a week. (laughs) So it's Mm -hmm. still good to keep in touch. Very grateful for technology. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could um, talk a little bit more to you about how your family has how you and how your relationship with your family has, you know, shifted as you've gone to college and even kind of embraced this Filipino American identity. And if, if other members of your family identify that way, or if they primarily still identify as Filipino, or if that's a conversation you've had with them. Yeah, that's, a really big question. They're yeah, kind of there, there, question. there are. I, I have like three <laughs> questions at least. <laughs> All good. Uh, I'll try. Hopefully I can remember what they were. So I think the first one is you're asking whether other members of my family mm-hmm. identified the same way. And you know what's interesting is I'm realizing we don't really have that conversation. Like I think the conversation of identities, whether it's like race or your your nationality or other things, like that doesn't really come up as often, at least in my family gatherings. And I don't know actually what my parents would say if I asked them. I'm kind of curious, like I want to reach out to them now and be like, what do you identify as? So that's a good question. I definitely think Filipino is a part of it. It's just a matter of whether they would say they're just Filipino or Filipino American, or who knows, maybe my parents now identify as American. And that would be a really interesting conversation to have. Uh, Something else you asked, I think, was like, what is it? What is it like having conversations with them about being who I am, like about being raised as Filipino American? Like we haven't 
had the conversation of like, what do you identify as? But we have had pretty difficult conversations about what it's like being raised. Like for me, being raised as Filipino American, because it, I, I remember like being in middle school and being really frustrated sometimes with things like noticing how my other friends would like hang out all the time after school. Whereas like for me, our culture is like, you don't typically really hang out with people, like people that aren't in your family. You just like hang out with your cousins and those would be your best friends, which again, totally not a bad thing. But I remember being very frustrated with it as a little kid. Cause I was like, that's not fair. Like Susie gets to hang out with like her friends. Why can't I hang out with mine? And it wasn't until I got older, probably around college that I realized like, just as I was acclimating to a new space like to a new country and to new idiosyncrasies like my parents were too and I think that's what's made it easier for us as I grow up and like kind of gain more perspective about the world is I realized that just as much as I'm an immigrant my parents are immigrating too just as much as I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a child in America my my parents are trying to figure out what it means to be a parent and uh, like it makes me tear up sometimes because I remember my dad my dad is so sweet uh it was like the day or like a week before I was going to move to Washington and he like we were at the dinner table and he asked me he was like hey like are you sure you want to do this are you scared and my initial reaction was like of course I can do it like what I got this like you, you think I can't do this and I took a second. It was like, okay, take a step back and think about what he's asking. And I realized my dad, and we talked about this later on, I, I realized my dad was asking that because he had that same decision when he was thinking about leaving the Philippines to come to the United States. And I think about that decision now and how like, he spent like 20 plus years in the Philippines, like completely different culture. Like there's, such a uh, you said so much like insightful things during that and I'm just like thinking about how that kind of part of growing up is like realizing your parents are human and like seeing the humanness in yeah. them and you know how they have struggled mm -hmm. and yeah that and it sounds mm -hmm. like that's really from you know what you've been saying it sounds like that's really helped you to empathize with them more and like understand them more yeah for sure I think I think the more I get them to share about their past lives and what they're going through the easier it also is to share for me and sometimes it's a back and forth sometimes they're kind of hesitant to share because it's not sometimes that's not really something that you'll do in like Filipino culture you don't really talk about feelings, I would say too much. But I don't know, like, I, I think I noticed early on growing up that when I share more about myself, then they'll share more. And it's just like, a, it's like a good way to talk between us. So yeah, it's definitely a reason why we're still close to this day. Can you, so, you know, you said, like, you don't always, you know, it's not always comfortable sharing about feelings, or it hasn't been like, you know, I'm just wondering generally if you could talk more about like how mental health in general is like talked about or 
perceptions about it um, in like Filipino or Filipino American culture or in your family? Yeah, that's a good question. So, man, it's interesting because I remember growing up, maybe it was like early high school and I was feeling really, really sad. And I was going through some things at the time and I like went to my mom. My mom denies the story. So I don't know, maybe it was in a dream. I think it was real, but she denies it still. (laughs) So I just let her have that. But I think it's real. But I like went up to her in the kitchen and was like, mom, I think I want to go to a therapist. And she was like, no, 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 no. That's like what America made up. Like, you don't actually need that. You just need to like pray. And religion is a really big part of, of being Filipino as well, at least where I grew up. I'm also very cognizant of how I don't want to speak sure. for like all Filipino and Filipino American experiences. Uh, mm-hmm. But at least like, where I'm coming from, like religion, being Catholic was a really big part. And so she was very much on that and was like, oh, just like pray about it, pray the rosary daily, you'll be fine. And ever since then, I kind of let it rest and was like, okay, like, I guess I'll just lean on religion and pray and it'll be okay. And it was, I think there, like my mom came from a different time and Again, it's kind of just empathizing with where my parents are, with where I am as well, and making a decision from there. And I, I ended up like leaning on religion and almost rejecting therapy, like the idea of therapy. It would come up in my life every now and then, like a couple of friends would recommend it. And I remember I would like respond to those friends and be like, no, like it's not for me. I don't think I should do it. And it wasn't until recently where I had like moved to Washington and some things had come up and I was like, I just woke up one day and was like, I want to try out therapy and see what happens and make that decision for myself. And it ended up being a really great decision. I had like my first therapy session and I felt so relieved after, like it was a weight off of my shoulders. And I think with my journey through all of this is just recognizing that one, it's difficult when your parents have a different belief, especially when you're young, like it's, it's hard to almost like fight back on that because when you fight back, then it's kind of like, Oh, why are you talking back to me? (laughs) So you have to pick your battles when you're young. But then as I grew up and developed my voice, I was like, no, like my mom has these beliefs and that's okay. I want to see and form my beliefs for myself now. I think I'm ready for that. And so recognizing that you have your own journey, your own pace and time, like that's okay. Um, and yeah, it, it, worked, it worked out well for me and I'm really, really grateful. And to kind of, I guess, tie a bow on the story, I ended up talking to my mom recently about it and I was so nervous because I was like, oh, what if she like, talks down about the experience? It's gonna hurt so much but I felt like it was important to tell her. And we were again in the kitchen, very symbolic. And I was like, mom, I'm going to therapy. And she was like, wait, what? Like physical therapy? And I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) Like like therapy, therapy, where I talk about my feelings and stuff. And she was like, oh, is is it helping you? Is something wrong with you? And I was like, oh, like she's viewing this as like 
a medical doctor. Like she's expecting they diagnose me with something and then give me medicine. And I kind of had to sit down and explain to her like, no, 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 it's, it's a little different actually. Like I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, like I think how it works is if they do find something that requires a diagnosis or medication, then they'll move forward with that path. But sometimes, sometimes you just need someone to talk things through and help you change like your mindset or ways that you had been almost like programmed to think and finding healthier avenues for it and after I had had that conversation it was it was really rewarding like my mom was very supportive and was like you know I still deny that that happened in the past and I was like okay mom whatever but like uh she was really glad she was like I'm so glad that you feel better now and that's what's important is that you're happy yeah, beautiful. And I can imagine like it would have it must have been so hard, you know, when you talk about having a foot in both cultures, like one foot is in the Filipino culture and one foot is in the American culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're like, OK, I, I want to go to therapy. And mom is like, no, that's that's what Americans do. And you're yeah. kind of like, but I'm both, you yeah. know, I'm Filipino <laughs> and I'm American. So, can yeah. you know, can I still go? Um, and I think a lot of a lot of college students anyway, their first time away from home with the with navigating their new identity or understanding what their identity is mm-hmm. and also too obtaining mental health services because a mm-hmm. lot of times it was denied when they were when they were children, um, whether or not that story was a dream <laughs> or <laughs> was reality, you know, that's that it is what it is. Um, yeah. So, but it, it's amazing how, you know, so many years later you can come back and you can still have that conversation with your mom and you can kind of tell her, you know, you can confide in her and she's more welcoming and accepting of that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really, really lucky to, to have my parents. I think they, they're also doing their best to kind of stay open-minded with what they have. And, and yeah, I, I feel lucky that I can, can come to them when I'm having a, a tough time. I think like a lot of that took some reinforcement. Like it wasn't always easy to have conversations with my parents it, and it, it took some reinforcement for them to kind of let me know, like, yes, sometimes we're harsh or like, yes, sometimes we may say the wrong things, but you have to understand that we're trying to do our best. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, I have to trust that they do mean that and that they are doing their best and I'm doing my best too. And the reality is that sometimes as a child, like, and even today, like I'll say hurtful things. And when my parents let me know that, that also brings like such a big perspective to me. Cause it's like, no, my parents aren't as invis- invincible as I would think they are as they may paint themselves to be like, they also have feelings and they also get hurt. And so it's like, I don't know. Like, I feel really grateful for like the relationship we've been able to kind of craft and, and nurture along the way. It sounds like you both put work into that to make it such a rewarding yes. relationship where you both are, you know, able to be open minded and like really hear each other. Mm-hmm. Yes everything if there's anything I'm learning in adulthood it's that everything takes work (laughs) nothing nothing just kind of happens I I remember when I was 
younger and still I still kind of catch myself doing this sometimes too where you'll meet someone and they seem so perfect and you're like wow how are they born perfect and you realize like one perfection isn't real and two like people aren't just born that way like it takes a lot of work and so whether it's like relationships with your parents or relationship with yourself and your identity it does take a lot of trial and error and forgiveness and yeah, you just kind of do your best and hope that it gets to a good place. So B, another one of your identities is being an engineer. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that too and how, how that journey started. Oh yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> oh, you guys have so many good questions. The how I became an engineer. I ooh, I don't it's weird phrasing it like that because it, it didn't just happen. I remember like I had many and I still do, I had many passions growing up. And so at one point I thought I was gonna be a lawyer, and then at one point I thought I was gonna be a doctor, and then I saw blood and I was like, I can't be a doctor. And uh, I remember there was this one moment where I was like, oh, I'm going to work in nonprofit and have a business degree. And that was going to happen. And then I don't know, it didn't. There was like a, there were many factors that ended that eventually led me to becoming an engineer and like majoring in computer science. But I think one of the bigger factors was I like took a tour with the University of Florida's engineering ambassadors. It's like a group uh, where they serve as the liaisons for the college. And they gave me a tour of the College of Engineering. And I remember my two tour guides, he was like Julio Chavez and Anthony Alvarez. They were these really, really cool people, just like fantastic human beings majoring in engineering. I don't even remember what engineering, I think it was like computer engineering and maybe aerospace engineering. But what was so neat about them was that they weren't defined by their major. Like they were so passionate about engineering, but it wasn't just that. Like Julio was like very passionate about theater. And then Anthony was like very passionate about travel. And so these, I I like met these two people that they loved engineering, but they didn't make it like a hundred percent of who they were. And I was very interested by that idea because I think going into college, there's a lot of pressure where you you have to pick the right major and everything has to align perfectly. But going back to what I was saying earlier, like everything takes work and trial and error. And I liked how they almost kind of knew that because they weren't just investing in their degree. They were investing in so many other different experiences. And that's what I wanted for myself too. Like I wanted to be computer science, but I also wanted to volunteer. And then I also wanted to travel and I also loved theater. So all these different things, like it felt like, it felt like the college of engineering because it had these two students, like it felt like I could forge a path like that for myself as well. And that's how I ended up uh, becoming computer science at UF. I actually started out as business and then I changed it like a weekend to (laughs) computer science engineering. (laughs) I was just going to say there's, there's an idea and like career counseling about chaos theory and planned happenstance and how just like chance events and, you know, all these different factors kind of lead us to different career paths and how that's always 
evolving. And I think that was a great example of that. And, and just also like how being able to identify in some way with people in a certain job or a certain field can help you feel confident. Like this can be for me too. Like there's, I can see myself mm-hmm. in here. Yeah. I think that's so, so powerful. Like I that's like a piece of advice I give my little brother all the time actually which is like find Mm -hmm. mentors people that you admire that you aspire to be like because when you surround yourself with people you want to be like that kind of increases your chances of being able to forge a path towards the same path that they have and so I've been very fortunate to have people in my life that I look up to who just continue to stay in touch with me like it doesn't need to be like 30 minutes every week or like an hour every two weeks. Like I just touch base with them sometimes. And when I have a really big decision on my hands, I'll like reach out and text them or call them and be like, hey, like I'm not sure what to pick. And I've found that those people are my greatest advisors. And I think my parents are definitely some of them. And then actually some of my teachers from like high school have been some of my greatest advisors as well. Mm-hmm. How, how has it been for you as a woman or and or like Filipino American and in the field of engineering so far? Ooh, good question. It, you know, I, <laughs> ooh, give me one second. <laughs> It's been uh, interesting. That's the best adjective I can give it. I think in my classes in college, I, I mean, you kind of immediately notice like who is like the majority in the group. And I was like definitely always the minority, but it's, I want to say it's getting better. Like every year it would always seem like there were more women or more people of color in, in the classrooms, which was nice. Um, someone I remember taking like a training with someone and they referred to it as like not diversity of what you can see, but like diversity of thought and how important that is and being able to craft new ideas and learn from each other. And so I think that that definitely increased as time went on. Um, But yeah, I think for me, I had to make an extra effort to find people that I could relate to in the community for sure. Like I remember joining what clubs there were like so many clubs. There was like society of women engineers and UF like WIXI, which is like women in computer science and engineering and definitely tying it back to engineering ambassadors. I actually joined, I, I was very lucky to join that organization. And that's where these clubs were like, where I was able to find people that I could not just identify with, but especially relate to when it comes to like core values and what you want with your future and your present. So it, I think, yeah, that, that was pretty much my experience and, and still is true to this day. Um, though I'm lucky, like currently I'm working at a tech company and, and I'm lucky the team like has a pretty good like diversity of, of thought and just a diverse like makeup. Uh, I'm able to find 
mentors, I think that was a key thing for me growing up was being able to find mentors that I could, that looked like me, that I could relate to. That has been particularly difficult. Um, and I think it's like easier now that the, with the team I'm on, like I can pinpoint people that I can lean on. Whereas like before I had started working full time, it was a bit difficult. Um, but I still was able to find mentors that shared core values. And I think at the end of the day, that is kind of what is the most important. Um, but still finding people that you feel like you are represented in, that's been pretty difficult. That makes sense. Have you been able to, because work-life balance can be really difficult, you know, as we all know, have you been able to still engage in those passions that you had um, during college? Because it sounds like the engineering, the engineering program was really supportive of that, of um, helping you to engage in in all aspects of yourself. Do you still find that to be true? Thank you for that question. That like, makes me feel warm inside like rarely do I feel like I rarely do I meet people that ask like oh are you able to get a work-life balance so it's really nice um I work today I would say I do I I've noticed so one of the things that people didn't warn me about once you go into adulthood and get a full-time job is it's so different from college like college you have assignments and you can tell how you're doing. You get like an A or a B or all the letters of the alphabet, which to be honest, I got all <laughs> the letters of the alphabet. So <laughs> like, it definitely, college was definitely rough. Uh, but, but you could always, you knew what you needed to do. And once you submitted your assignments, your exams, you knew where you stood. Whereas in, at work, I had such a difficult time kind of switching that because that's not the case. Uh, at least at where I work, there's no assignments. There's just like tasks, but you're expected to kind mm. of set your own deadlines. And then you don't get grades. You have a manager that kind of tells you how you're doing. But then there's also an art to having that conversation. Like, how do you go in to a one-on-one with your manager and ask how you're doing? You can't just be <laughs> like, so what's my grade? <laughs> you have to like, there, there's a way that you go into these conversations to really pinpoint, okay, like, where am I doing well? What can I improve? Or what are my areas of opportunity? So that was a, a definite learning curve that I, I had to surmount. And that's like, <laughs> that could be a whole entire podcast. <laughs> uh, but that, I think that was really difficult and affected my work-life balance. Because in the first few months, and this yeah. is also during pandemic, I actually started working like February, I think 24th was my start date. And I had a month in the office. And then all of a sudden, it was like work from home since then. Yeah. So adding on to that pandemic, I think work became my identity, because it couldn't be anything else. Like I, I didn't, I couldn't really meet new people, I couldn't invest in hobbies outside of my apartment. And so my work life balance is pretty difficult from the get go, because I wanted to feel like I was doing well, like I felt when I was getting A's (laughs) in college. Uh, So it was tough. But I think nowadays, it's a little bit better. Now, I'm, I'm like trying to set boundaries for myself, like, okay, I'm only going to work eight to four, and I'm going to make sure I have like a 45 or an hour long lunch break, I'm going to do yoga, like I've, 
I've realized that work-life balance, like balance in and of itself is like an active practice, something mm-hmm. one of my mentors taught me. Thank you, Sasha. <laughs> and it's, it's really an active practice to make sure you have that balance for yourself. It's not something that's going to come easy with work. And that was true for college too. I think college had pressures, especially in the computer science community to be like the stereotypical student that like got all A's in all their classes, which we all know I did not. And then they would like code on the weekends, which I don't know if you could tell I did not. <laughs> and so it was, it was difficult kind of fighting those stereotypes and standing up for like what I felt my like student life balance would be. Um, but yeah, active practice, I think is the the short answer to your question. Before we finish up for today, is there anything else that you'd want, uh, maybe like a UF student listening to this to really take away or, you know, leave after listen, leave with after listening to this podcast? (laughs) That's a big question. So many things. Not that I am this omnipresent know-it-all because I definitely am not. But I think ooh, one of the things that helped me get through college because it was, it was a difficult time for me. I think when it got really, really tough and I would want to quit, I would actually call my dad and I'd tell him like, oh, this exam is so hard or like this class is so hard. I think I'm going to fail or... I don't know, I I would lose, there were moments where I definitely lost hope in getting the degree sometimes. And there was something my dad always said, which was like, um, there's always an end. Like this idea that like, this is just a phase, this is just a moment in your life and you have to push through. If it's still, you know, barring any major circumstances, like push through because there's an end in sight and then you'll get to the next phase. And it kind of goes in tandem with something another mentor who's like from high school scorch mr scorch would always tell me like the best years of his life were in high school and then after that the best years of his life were in college and then after that the best years of his life was when he found his wife and then after that the best years of his life was when he had his kid and it's just this idea that everything comes in phases and nothing is really permanent like give yourself some grace to go through each phase and believe that it it gets better if you let it so that's what I would say keep pushing through thank you so much for that and thank you for sharing um, being so generous and sharing your lived experiences your time with us and just some some of the insights that you've gained um, over the past couple years Thank you for having me. This is really cool. I really appreciate you both. Bye. (laughs) Great talking to you. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash CWC talks.